I'm Luis, and this is Footprint Talks, the podcast where we talk about climate change issues, policy, justice, reform, advancements, and really anything that can follow the word climate. Join us as we talk to experts and important figures while we continue to learn about how we can save our planet. Our planet is in crisis, and if you didn't know, let's talk about it. Today, we talk to Allison Korn, writer of the article, Are Green Schoolyards the Solution to Teaching in a Pandemic? She is a climate communications professional based in New Jersey with a degree in sustainable development from the University of St. Andrews and a Master of Science in Environmental Sustainability from the University of Edinburgh. Ali is a writer for the Footprint blog, and she's here today. Ali, welcome. Hi, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. All right. Um, so recently you wrote an article uh, which is titled, Are Green Schoolyards the Solution to Teaching in a Pandemic? Um, before we get into a deeper discussion of the article, can you give us uh, just a little bit of a synopsis of uh, what the article is about? Yeah, it gives you a little bit of background on the outdoor education movement, uh, some of its history and also its uh, present doings, I guess. Uh, I mostly looked at how green schoolyards, which are a subsection of the outdoor education movement, have become a big opportunity for teaching methods during uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. And I mostly look at the National COVID-19 Outdoor Learning Initiative, which is an initiative created by Green Schoolyards America. Can you, do, can you tell us a little bit more, uh, just lay the terms out on the table, what is a green schoolyard, right? It seems like a very straightforward term, but I believe there's a little bit more to it than just a, a yard that's green. Yeah, so from its service level, it sort of just looks like a piece of infrastructure. You know, instead of having a concrete playground, you're putting in gardens and uh, grass and uh, even like beehives, things like that. But it's more about trying to bring access to nature to schools. So a lot of them are found in public schools that are in cities. Uh, and you're trying to get kids that normally wouldn't be able to get outside back outdoors. So in the article you say, uh, and I quote, a green schoolyard is not just a space, it is a movement. Mm -hmm. uh, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so it's part of this wider outdoor education movement. Uh, it's really trying to bring nature back to children. I think especially with uh, more access to technology, children are really staying inside more than ever before, especially you know, during the pandemic. Right. Uh, kids have been having to stay inside. Um, so this is part of a wider movement to try to get kids not only outside, but also bring back their relationship with the outdoors, really trying to help them understand why out, the outdoors is important to humans and how they can you know, have it part of their lives. From your point of view, um, not just as a writer, but somebody who um, has studied issues of sustainability for a long time now, what is the importance of uh, these green schoolyards, not just during the pandemic, but, but beyond? Yeah, so I mean, there's obviously a lot of uh, research that's shown, you know, it reduces stress, it helps your ability to learn, it also uh, helps your ability to improve social interactions and also obviously your exposure to nature. I think personally, I 
really gained a relationship with nature because I grew up spending my summers out in the Adirondacks. I really thought it was normal that we wanted to, you know, do hikes or we wanted to go explore the unknown or, you know, see a bunch of species. And that was really normal for me. And I know a lot of children nowadays don't have that. It's, they're more likely to spend time, you know, on a computer or not even that their families just might not be able to get them outside. Like it, it sort of has become a privilege to be able to go outside, go hiking, go, you know, camping for a weekend. Not every kid gets that. What are the challenges that you uh, saw as you were doing research for this article um, or that you know from from your own experiences? Uh, What are the challenges that this movement faces in terms of geographical location of the school, right? Because it's going to be a little bit different for a school in a city to try to implement um, these principles compared to a school anywhere outside a city, it can be uh, even in in suburban um, areas or it can be in in more rural areas? I definitely think funding is probably one of the biggest challenges. It's it's such a horrible dynamic in that cities and lower socioeconomic areas are the ones that usually need it the most, who, you know, don't have parks and don't have, you know, these play areas that a lot of suburbs do have. Uh, And it's definitely more difficult to try to implement, you know, these these infrastructure changes in those areas just because, you know, they might need that money allocated to other areas. Mm-hmm. And a lot of uh, the other backlash that I would see are kind of typical things like how do we keep kids warm or how do we uh, get teachers to change their curriculums? But a lot of studies have actually shown that teachers, you know, really thrived in the environment because they you know had more opportunity to explore what they were going to be teaching and also like they had kids that were a little bit more excited because it was a little bit different than what they would usually do uh and in terms of like the colds it was like they usually found that they would just give the kids jackets and they were pretty fine the kids are pretty resilient (laughs) you know i think adults are usually the ones more concerned about those (laughs) things than kids in the end (laughs) so there were like small challenges but there are definitely ways to overcome them. And the thing with these schools is that they're definitely more community efforts. Like a lot of the schools aren't just for the children. A lot of the communities could, or community members could come in and use those grounds for themselves as well. Like if it's a public garden or if it's, uh, you know, as I said before, like a beehive, like they could come and use those. Well, it's funny that you talk about the cold because that was one of my, <laughs> my biggest concerns. Uh, I mean, I, I'm in Illinois right now and, and I look outside and it's all white, full of snow. So I was wondering, you know, how do you, um, how, how does a school uh, can protect this curriculum uh, in, in a time when, you know, being outside is not as pleasant um, mm-hmm. in, in places like Illinois? And you can think about Minnesota as well and, and places yeah. like Maine. Um, where snow just comes and covers everything. Yeah, I think it's definitely about adapting to your environment. I think there's definitely some infrastructure that's more like uh, indoor-outdoor classrooms that we've seen before. Um, You know, that maybe there's no four walls, but you're still kind of exposed, and there's heaters and sort of like that. But a lot of them aren't like you're not having class outside 24 seven. It's, you know, maybe you're going outside for an hour or two, or, you know, maybe you're exploring whatever bit for one of your sections. It's not, you know, seven hours outside. Right. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's definitely something that 
I think it's something that community members would probably be better at figuring out than I would. <laughs> That's sort of the thing is that I think communities know how to, uh, I guess, how to adapt to those problems because they do know how to uh, live in those environments. Right. So it sounds a little bit like the movement um, is in a way about empowering communities to do a little bit more with their spaces. Exactly. It's it's not really it's trying to see how we can work with nature rather than work against it because it's there and you know it's it's meant to be there and yeah. you know you just have to be a little bit more clever about how you bring your space into you know the wider you know natural world around you. Yeah. Uh, who is leading the movement? Yeah, so Green Schoolyards America is the group that I was looking at the most just because they're one of the most prevalent in the United States. And they'll actually work with uh, local communities to help them build programs for their schools. Uh, and then kind of one of the, the, the overhead groups is Healthy Schools Campaign and Open Lands. They really initiated this movement uh, in the last like 20 years, but there's been, there's been like forest schools, there's been environmental education programs, you know, for, for hundreds of years. It's not really a brand new concept. It's just sort of hitting public schools now more than ever. Mm -hmm. So obviously, I mean, this whole conversation uh, is constantly pointing to uh, climate change, climate issues, climate action. Um, but it's, it's worth to just ask the question directly and have it answered directly. What is the relationship between uh, this movement and um, climate change or climate action uh, and, and bringing awareness to climate issues? I think at its core, it's really about adapting to the world around you. You know, you're not, you're trying to make schools fit within the environments that they are, are naturally supposed to be in. And that's sort of what we're trying to do with climate change. We know the planet's, you know, we've already impacted it to such an extent. And at this point, we need to adapt to not only the effects that are you know, already ongoing, but also we need to adapt our uh, behaviors and kind of how we've been doing things to really try to mitigate some of the challenges or mitigate some of you know, the impacts of climate change. And then on top of that, I think, as I said before, exposure to nature really does change how you perceive the planet and how you perceive our position and our role within it. Um, I think a lot of people do just see nature and you know, species and ecosystems as things that are you know, separate from us and maybe not as important as other things. But I think once you really begin to grow a relationship with those parts, of the world you really learn that like how important they are to preserve and how important it is to try to you know fix some of the mistakes we've already made all right ali thank you so much uh this has been a great discussion for me um i loved your article by the way uh makes you think a lot uh during everything that's going on you know how how in in the challenges that we face right now um there's a little bit of hope uh in in some things uh, and hopefully learn from, um, you know, what 2020 had to offer us uh, and, and try to take some good stuff from it. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad I got the opportunity to talk about it a little bit more. <laughs>
Awesome. And I hope we have you back soon enough. Thanks. See you. This has been a Footprint Talks podcast. Join us next time for more climate communication. Until then, I'm Luis, signing off.